and at one point had a portfolio of 100 cash flow homes and multifamily eventually divested the cash flow home property because we make three, three times as much money in half the time in the big apartments. Hey, hey, before we get into this episode, want to let you know that Blue Spruce has a 454 unit in Atlanta, Georgia. That market is booming. We're really excited about this particular property and we're excited to close it. We want to close it with you. So if you want to be a part of this deal, it is for accredited investors only. So there's two ways. If you're accredited, awesome. Let us know. And if you want to raise money, awesome. Let us know. We'll give you a slice of the general partnership and you bring in your investors. So without further ado, here is today's episode. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams, and today we have Chad Doty. And one really interesting thing about him is he's got $325 million under management today. He owns in Texas, Kentucky, and Atlanta. And at one point in time, he had 400 million. They have sold a little bit of their assets off. What he's doing is really interesting. I want to dive in and try to find out how can we do exactly what Chad has been able to do with 37th Parallel. Uh, you can find him and his 13 employees as well as his partner at 37parallel.com. With that said, Chad, will you give us a little bit more of an introduction based on how did you get into what you're doing? You got it. Um, I didn't grow up in real estate. Um, I grew up as sort of a, I'm a recovering management consultant. So I cut my teeth working for a big five consulting firm called Arthur Anderson and um, did that for a while. I got to see the inside of both good and bad companies, three to seven a year for eight, nine years. So there's a, we're not real estate guys. We're, and my business partner's the same. We both work there. Uh, my work wife, known him for 20 years. Um, we basically are business guys that like the multifamily real estate asset class. We treat them as their own little microcosms of business. So we started out doing it in 2008, uh, did both cash flow homes and at one point had a portfolio of 100 cash flow homes and multifamily eventually divested the cash flow home property because we make three, three times as much money in half the time in the big apartments. Then built up that business from there. And then uh, today, you know, we're raising 25 to 30 a year and try to buy hundred million or so a year, all B grade, you know, 1980s to 2000 built multifamily. Perfect. Why do you pick that B grade 1980s to 2000 built multifamily? Yeah, it, it even gets more specific than that, but I didn't want to kill our time slot, but there is, um, we're big believers in being conservatively aggressive. So meaning that we will aggressively buy every conservative asset that we can. And for us, we dialed into, how do we make sure we can own in the largest population footprint? Well, median household income is 58,000. Uh, that's the biggest part of the U.S. income bell curve. Guess what? A good chunk of that group rents. Uh, we also want to understand the population cycles. So uh, 18 to 35 age groups, 75% of them rent. They typically don't rent the brand new A-grade stuff. So you've got a combination of your biggest renter cohort and your biggest uh, economic demographic all renting in that area. And it's also a a more insulated from economic cycles. It's far more demographic cycle driven than economic cycle driven. And did you say B class? Yes. B class. Okay. You'll, you'll hear A is, you know, brand new to 10 years old. B is 10 to 30, depending on deferred maintenance. C can be 
can be 30 to 60 years old, depending on deferred maintenance. A lot of it's more the tenant base. And it's really the 1980s is to avoid really lead and asbestos risk um, and to have the same kind of box. You know, you walk in, you got a front door, you got a living room. Really, that architecture hasn't changed. It's mostly just how they amenitize the inside. Okay, if you found a 200-unit C-plus class, which was older than 80, what would mm-hmm. you do? Probably pass. Okay. Um, I mean, I it would it. have to be it have to be fantastic. I mean, if the dirt were amazing and we had no remediation risk, we've done deals like that before. But of the ones we've done, uh, there have been enough that have been problematic with regards to future pacing that asset to improve the interiors that we just, there's enough out there. Great. And I quoted you. And when you were talking about multifamily versus single family assets, the quote is it's three times the money in half the time. Um, Do you have, is that just something that is that actual data that shows that it's three times the money in half the time? Or is it that more like a feeling like we make a lot of money this way and it's a lot, lot easier? It's, it's purely our experience with it. Um, there, are, there are plenty of people I know that will go out and flip and make great money or they'll have single family rentals in phenomenal locations. It's just it, what happens as you start to scale the two at the same time. You really, you can't scale a single family portfolio like you can a multifamily portfolio. Every single door is a roof. It's a whole, it's a whole structure of costs. It's a whole renter profile. It's a whole management profile. And management, unless you self-manage in that space, is really difficult. So as you grow, it breaks really quickly. So for us, when we looked at our portfolio at the time we decided to divest, we were making three times as much money. That was an experience. Awesome. Really, really good stuff. Thank you for going over that. So I've got a couple of pretty good questions already queued up. I'm enjoying this interview. So the first one that I had queued up is before we kind of got on the podcast, we were talking about 506B and 506C, which most of the listeners should know. We talk about these all the time. Um, And if not, that's okay. Go and listen to Jillian Sidoti's episode. We were really, really diving deep into this. But um, just for you today, Chad, on 506B versus 506C, you said for a long time you were doing the Bs, which I call the buddies. Mm -hmm. And now you're doing the Cs, which I call the uh, accredited. Um, (laughs) I like it. Okay. And so in 2016 is when you changed to go to 506C. However, and if people go and listen to that episode with Jillian Sidoti, she said something like, 80 or 90% of all of the syndications are done as 506B. So the question is for you, why have you chosen to switch to accredited? Sure. Um, And we we actually started the switch in 15. Um, And then the, it came down to the fact that when, so Dodd-Frank occurred, 506Cs and crowdfunding got created in 2013. And as that stuff came down and you're looking at, as you look to grow, it, the problem with bees is there are these people will stretch. And, I, and by the way, Sadoti and those guys, they do this for a living. They are syndication attorneys. We're, we're just, we're syndicators and, and they, so they know it better than we do. But our experience was as you tried to push out and advertise or, or educate or to develop investor groups, 
the there were enough times where the SEC would be, well, you're kind of just passively, you're, you're educating them with the intent to sell them later. So at that point, you're, you're technically looking at a general, and there are a few interpretations of that. Not really so much at the Fed, but at the state level, every single state is different in how they treat some of these. And if you're working in the non-accredited space, then you have full exposure to state level SEC. And if you are working in, uh, and so you just got to deal with that. And some states view that as revenue enhancement. Some states are just like, hey, don't, you know, the, they call it, the joke is the good performance exemption, which isn't, doesn't exist, but people say it out there in the universe. It's a lie because it, it, the right state can come after you if they want to. So as we grew, we're like, let's take care, let's just avoid all the compliance risk of educating because we got to the point now where we can only push referrals so far. We had a really good product. Uh, you know, as of today, we still have 100% profitable track record, never lost a deal. Every single deal has made money. Let's expand that platform, but we need to do it in a way where there's no shackles whatsoever. So, okay, we want to be able to advertise. We want to only work with accredited anyway. They're the ones who have the means to invest. So let's just go down that path. So there's a shifting of our, and it's, it's paid off tremendously in terms of what we can do. And crowdfunding is limited to a million dollars a deal. So, and, and why take $10,000 from a hundred people when you can take, you know, a million from a few, you know, and, and help them make money. Thank you so much. All right. So what is the average unit size or excuse me, property size? How many units are there that you're purchasing? We don't, I don't know the average by deal. Uh, we typically aren't buying deals unless they're at least 150 doors and we bought as high as 420. Okay. When we first started though, it was 75 to 150, but now it's, it's bigger. Okay. That's, that's good. So right now you're really only looking at it if it has at least 150 uh, doors and then mm -hmm. uh, 400, you wouldn't, you wouldn't blink. It would still be like, let's do it. You know? Yeah. It's all, it's all pricing and timing. Great. All right. Where, back when you were doing 506B, where did you find your passive equity partners? Um, it was from the friends and family group that we developed beforehand. It was referrals from that group. And we'd also done some of that educate and build an investor group process. Uh, the problem was it's just, it started to, to, at, to get stretched at the seams. So we just wanted to not avoid any downstream risks, the combination of those three. Back then you were successful on being able to raise this money. Mm -hmm. Even now you're even more successful, but if you could just take me back to your sales pitch, how did you word the opportunity to these passive equity partners when you initially contacted them about a deal? I mean, if I, if I knew, if they were known to me and I could offer as the issuer, it was, Hey, this is, uh, you know, we don't look at it from the perspective that we're selling anybody. It's more, here's all the reasons why we like the space. We're data junkies. We come at this very much from a, here's the long-term history. Here's what the overall, here's what commercial real estate looks like. Here's what multifamily looks like. Here's what B grade multifamily looks like. And this is just all the, the, market-based data. Here's what this MSA looks like. Here's why that's important. Here's why the sub-market, here's why this neighborhood, here's why this three and you know, five mile collection looks like. So going through all of those fundamentals, it's like, this is why we like this deal. It, we expect it to do X from performance perspective. If you want to learn more, join us. If you don't, no big deal. 
And we've done that since we started. It's more, but you're also finding out do they have interest in real estate anyway? Do they want to, you know, balance out a stock bond portfolio? There's some very good stats about smoothing and performance improvement just by adding direct real estate, um, showing them how REITs are what 81, 82% correlated to the stock market and more volatile. It's not really stock. It's just real estate flavored stock. Mm. You know, it's not really real estate. Um, so some of those comparative points, but it's really, it's tough to just pitch, you know, go through everything, but a lot of it's just education and why we like it, but it's never, it's never a uh, take a look now or it's gone. You know, this isn't a, you know, this isn't a, a scarcity based sale. It's very much education. I love it. Um, one of the things that you mentioned that I've noticed a lot of really top level sales people in this space talk about is starting out first with this is real estate. This is what it does. This is multifamily real estate. This is why I pick it over top of the rest of the types. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, B class multifamily real estate. This is why we pick that over the others. This is the sub, the, the market. Here's the sub market, what it's doing. Here's the neighborhood. Now here's the building and what I think we can do with it. That is a very smart way of just kind of bringing through the education process. I enjoyed hearing you say that. And I didn't even prompt you to do so. I do have a question. It says, um, so you were talking about if you want to learn more, join us. If not, that's fine. When you're on this initial contact with people that you already know, because we're currently talking about back in the past when you were doing 506B, mm -hmm. is, this, is this a phone call? Are you taking them to lunch to talk to them? Are you just chatting with them at, at a meetup group? What is... Or I guess there's a fourth option that I was thinking of. Maybe you had a webinar going, but how, what, where was this conversation happening when you're bringing people into your fold back, you know, when you're doing 506B? You don't, I don't, I think all of the areas that you mentioned are good to understand if someone has preliminary interest but none of them are good situations to really walk someone through an opportunity. I think that takes a one-on-one -on -one with information because at that point you're teaching, you're educating, you're not, it's not, you're not like, you're not try, trying to tell somebody here's why the next Bond movie is fantastic. It's not a enthusiasm and referral based, go check it out. It's more, hey, here's what we do. We have a process that we go through with everybody. We want to make sure you know X, Y, and Z. If, you, if we can't get to the point where we feel like you know X, Y, and Z, we're just not a fit for each other. No harm, no foul. Um, but so then we use either one-on-one -on -one conversation with the information deck or a webinar. So the first piece is just, do you have interest? Great. Then you're going through two educational pieces. Here's how we work. Here's how 37th Parallel works in this space. Do you want to play with our group? And then there's another one if they, as deals come up. So there's always a gate to here's how we work. Then there's always an, for each deal, they get another offering webinar. Okay, perfect. And we might dive into that a little bit more um, on further questions. Let me ask you this. Right now that you're doing your 506C, mm -hmm. how are you advertising, if at all? And or how are you finding these current accredited equity investors? Um, there is, <clears throat> there's two methods that we do to find accredited investors that I'm not going to go through with anybody. <laughs> oh. um, but that is just uh, unique to us and we'd like to keep it that way. Um, but 
what we, from an advertising perspective, from a broad-based advertising perspective, quite frankly, Facebook and Google work quite well with regards to targeting an income level or a, what they do as a professional or, and, and if you, if, if you're on Facebook or you're on Google and you have anything remotely related to you having real estate, you're going to be seeing crowdfunding ads. You're going to be seeing all that stuff or not crowdfunding, but crowdsourcing things like CrowdStreet or real crowd that where they have their, uh, they're commoditizing all these deals so people can shop through that stuff. But all these different sponsors, we we're not part of that space either don't it's not that we dislike the business model in general we just spend a lot of time developing a particular type of client for what we do and we find that it's easier to do that directly to the client than using the the portal tools um but you don't this isn't a paper advertisement you know you really and i would tell you direct going direct works far better than being a content-based marketer in the space because a lot of people, it's just noise. To really get in front of them and say, hey, take a look at this is going to work better in the direct marketing world in our experience, not just you know, SEO. What is one way that somebody could do direct instead of content-based? Um, let's say you, uh, you want to sell a deal that's only in Florida. Okay. Well, Florida has exemptions. Uh, I think I think Florida has. Before I say that, I think mo many states have exemptions where if you advertise just the state, and you can advertise directly, even if it's not a five hundred six C offering, but you only can allow investors from that state. Okay, so you literally could direct mail that uh, and find a way to buy a list of who are all the people that make more than X amount of money. So okay, I want everyone over two hundred thousand a year. That's accredited as a single person. It's 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 easier to get that data than it is to get net worth data. But you can also get some, so that'd be a one way to go about it. And then you'd have to be, well, what's your offer? What are you teaching them? How are you getting in front of them? And that's a whole other conversation. Okay, so direct mail it would be a suggestion that you think might be valuable to the listeners using, actually mailing people. Mm -hmm. But then the, the thing is, you got to be willing to spend the money and know what you're doing to do it. Uh, yeah. Direct mail costs money, so you want to test online you know, and see what your message looks like. And there's a lot of great stuff out there, whether it's Dan Kennedy or I can't remember. There's, there's tons of people that have really good mechanisms to look at direct mail. Love it. Okay. Thank you. What advice do you have for a listener who wants to copy, imitate, you know, get to $400 million under management? Um, I think you have to get rid of, two myths myths um the first one is that uh if the deal is good enough um money will find you um that is is really it's a complete lie <laughs> it's uh money flows to people that know what they're doing uh the, the, the test is you know take an, an amazing deal and have your crazy brother who just got out of rehab be your manager and take that same deal and give it to a complete stranger but they have hundred million dollars that are real estate, which where, where would you go? Right. You're going to go with the competency versus even if it's the same deal. The other one is um, at the right price. Uh, every deal, you know, every deal can be a good a, a deal at, at the right price and in larger deals, that's not the case. Uh, in most times there's no diamond in the rough. It's really, can you buy a deal at market 
for what it is and improve it and develop a plan around that. So get, get rid of those two myths. You see a lot of them that occur in the, the late night education space and all that. And it's really, you've got to be able to treat it like a business. You've got to understand what you are good at. There's something we call a, uh, our Mac profile. It's market approach and capability. So you, if money flows to people to know what they're doing, okay, well, what is your capability? Then only work in those markets with that approach where they're all three aligned. So for example, don't be a developer in Akron, Ohio, let's say, or some economy that's shrinking. You can build and you might be able to sell it to somebody, but it's a hell of a gamble. Who's going to lend on it? What's it going to look like? You kind of need rent growth, you need population growth, you need the right kind of land path. So matching that Mac profile, and if you're starting, then it's what am I good at? Or what, if you're not good at anything yet, what do you want to get good at? What asset class, what geography, what approach, you know, cause even though we do B grade multifamily, there's a million ways to make a million dollars in real estate. It's one way for us, but if the timing's right and you're a good economy, you can print money in hospitality. You can do well in retail and office. I don't like their exposures in down economic cycles. So I'm willing to take less when things are good to lose less when things are bad. But some people are fine with that. So just there's no one right answer. It's fit. I mean, it's a trillion, trillion, trillion dollar space, commercial real estate. Great. Very, very good info. So I want to touch on those real fast. As far as the advice that you'd give to somebody who wanted to get to where you are, get rid of two myths is the main thing. The first one is if the deal, if the deal's good enough, the money will follow you. And you're saying money flows to people who know what they're doing rather than just having a good deal. And I would agree with that. I've never thought of it like that. I'm glad you brought it up. Thank you. And the second one was everything is a deal at the right price. And I'm starting to see that too in my own multifamily syndication business. I'm starting to see that, man, we don't even want to touch this. We don't, I don't care if they give it to us. I mean, it's just a lot of work. I'd rather have something that was cash flowing and we're going to make some money. And I liked the analogy that you used with basically triple net leases right now. You're getting huge cash flows, huge NOIs huge uh, cap rates. Um, but with multifamily, maybe the cap rates are more compressed. However, when you really look at the big picture of everything, multifamily, when you look at the sharp ratio, a ratio of risk adjusted returns, multifamily skyrockets above all things, uh, six times higher than the S&P 500. And that's why we cho- choose multifamily as well. I'm ready to get into the final five. Mm-hmm. But before, Before we do, we have a quick break and we'll be right back. Remember, we have a live deal in Atlanta and we're very excited to close this property in Atlanta with you. If you'd like to be a part of this, it is a 506C accredited investors only. So you could be part of the general partnership and raise a little bit of money with us. Or if you are accredited, this is a great opportunity to have 400 plus doors to your name. So without further ado, let's get back into the episode. All right. Question number one. What's the most creative deal you've done? Um, we bought a deal and this is actually my business partner, uh, not me. And I'll brag on him a little bit, but uh, his name is Dan Chamberlain. We were looking to buy a deal in Kentucky and the seller, they wanted, they wanted one price. We wanted another price. And they were, well, what if we sell it to you this way and we stay in the deal and then you'll take us out over time. We're like, uh, and we're, and we'll be a manager 
then we're going through great. But what happens if we want to buy you out early? What if there's a performance issue? We're going, we basically went back and forth probably with about eight or nine iterations of the, of them staying in the deal as, as an equity participant. It would be a new loan. So it wasn't creative financing necessarily. Let's call it creative equity in that deal. It would have been, you know, normal Fannie Mae product. And eventually as we got through all the, this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. We finally just landed on, Hey, can we just buy it for X price? Cause we've been talking with them and we got, and we built a relationship. They knew we weren't yo-yos. We were going to keep them on as management. So it took us an extra two months where we just basically kicked the broker out and figured it out. But it ended up being a fantastic deal for them from a sale point. They had good management income and we bought it for 10 and a half and sold it for 14.6 in like two and a half years. Wow. That's great. Uh, thank you for going over that. So what was the main thing, um, the, the lesson that you got out of that, that we can take from it and imitate the same thing to do a deal that way? I think understanding your seller's motives <laughs> because that seller was looking for a particular price and time solution and time wasn't the variable. They just wanted, he wanted to be able to go back to his investor with him because he had an investor have the best available deal and uh but from both from the packaging you know who set there was a, there was emotional tie into who they're selling it to what are they what are they going to do to the property to make it better so there's a little bit of a hey this baby isn't going to get trashed when we sell it okay and that price and and more reputation was the variable in that time where a lot of times it's you know you're doing a market-based deal it's it's got to sell by X date and as high as possible price with the best qualified buyer. And it's a seller's market right now. Um, but that deal is just no matter what the economic cycle or the buy cycle is, understand your seller's motives to the extent you can. And don't guess, ask. Love it. Thank you so much. What's a book you recommend? The Goal by Eli Goldratt. Perfect. And then where it's, were you? Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. If you wanted to talk about The Goal. The only reason why is that it talks about the theory of constraints and that businesses create more throughput, not always by growing more revenue. It's by looking at the entire business and finding out what's the bottleneck and then fixing each bottleneck as you can. And as you fix that bottleneck, you then see how the system runs, fix the next one, see how it runs. Our whole business is wrapped around how we started. Okay. Where are we bottlenecked out? Cause this business is really four things. It's business architecture, deal development, uh, capital development and asset management. And at some point, one of those four, you're going to have a bottleneck in one of them and, or many of them and finding the one that's the biggest constraint, you go fix it. And then all of a sudden things open up. All right. Great. Thank you. Where were you five years ago from today? Um, same house, same spouse, dogs, kids, but the business was, it was 2013 um, we just come off of 2012 where we didn't buy a single deal uh, just because there's a lot of mismatches in the market. Um, we were, I don't even think we'd crossed 50 million in assets and center management at that point. Um, and uh, we did one or two deals a year and the deal sizes were more like four to $8 million projects then in 13. And now we won't really look at it unless it's north of 15 and ideally closer to 25. Love it. So when five years ago, when you were looking at these assets that were 8 million and doing about a deal a year, did you have another job or 
what, what did it look like that way? So when I started the company, I bridged, I, I, I owned my own consulting company and I sort of just tapered down with clients. Multifamily, I think is something that's very difficult just to go cold Turkey um, because you're going to burn down savings while then you're waiting on certain things to occur that you don't fully control and you put your own lifestyle and your family at risk. So I basically just hold on to both trees until we got to the point where there was just enough, but I still took, I took a 70% pay cut from my consulting company to then do this and stayed at that level for three years. Um, but I mean, it's paid off in spades now, but at the time, you know, there's a lot of the Ori honey, it'll be okay. Um, but, uh, and then when we did take salary, it was just enough to cover our nut. And we also had, it wasn't just the multifamily space because remember we had the cash flow home space too. So both were making us money. It's just that this one sucked up so much more time and this made more money in less time. So eventually when we, we were, we were kind of in the process of divesting in the 12, 13 window from that. A lot of, lot of valuable wisdom there. So I hope that everybody got as much out of that as I did. Thank you for going over that. Where will you be five years from today? Um, we're, we, our initial goal when we started the company was to get to 500 million in assets under management. And we'll hit that probably in the next year to two years. Um, and then the next goal is a billion. So the trick is, can we do a billion in AUM in the next five years? And that would require basically 200, you know, 150, I guess, to 175 a year for the next five. So if we can do that, that would be nice. So, and I think we can. Perfect. I really appreciate going over that. How do you give back? Um, it's a, the company, we sort of are very much a, a children's causes kind of thing. So, um, and I will tell you, it's one of those things where it's a little bit of a gap in my world. I think Dan's fantastic at it. And we enable a bunch of people. I'm more of a, I'm more of a free time guy. So when I'm not working, it's, uh, how can I be in a, how can I go sail or how can I spend time with my kid or, or my wife or whatever. But I think, um, the, the children's hospital in Richmond and uh, a few other things, we basically just spread as we can. And we, we do staff days probably two or three times a year. Thank you. And the way to reach you is first, there's the website, which we mentioned at the mm -hmm. beginning, which is 37. That's just three and a seven parallel.com. And then you had a giveaway if they did 37 parallel.com slash creative for the creative real estate podcast. What is it that they can find there? So um, one of our principals, his name is, is Dennis Bethel. He's a retired ER doctor. And in medicine, they have this idea, this concept called evidence-based medicine in that you don't, it's not what is, provides the best patient outcome. And that's a combination of factors, but ultimately is what's the best, what evidence is there of what certain treatment type that provides the best outcome? Well, if you take that concept of evidence-based investing, what are the fundamental environments and treatments opportunities you can create to provide the best investing outcome? And so there's a book that he wrote, uh, 40 ish pages, uh, very detailed though. It's basically a ton of third party market data on why he picked multifamily. Um, and it's called evidence-based investing. And it's very much, it's from the perspective of a very detail oriented doctor on why he loves real estate, specifically multifamily. All right. Well, can I go get that too? 
Absolutely. So I'm going to hop off right now and I'm going to go to 37parallel.com slash creative because I would very much like to see what Dr. Dennis Bethel, the ER doc, said about multifamily and why he picked that. So thank you so much for your time. And until next time, think outside the box. Manny Perez here. This podcast is growing fast because of listeners like you. Thank you guys. If everyone could do me one favor, will you go to iTunes right now and leave us a positive rating? This will help us get more top-notch guests for the future. Again, please go to iTunes right now and leave us a positive rating. Thank you guys and keep listening.